G'day, I'm George Christensen, host of the New Nation First podcast. Thanks very much for joining us. Can you go ahead and like this video, subscribe to this channel so you see more fantastic interviews like this. Today, we're interviewing the man who changed the face of British politics. He actually got Britain to be an independent nation once again. We're talking about Mr. Brexit himself, Nigel Farage. Nigel, thanks very much for joining us here uh, on Nation First. How are you going, my friend? Well, going all right. You know, I mean, my life's mission, um, and we are talking 27 years of campaigning, uh, being told that I was mad, bad, irrelevant. I mean, a list is lower, and they're the nice words. Um, <laughs> and in the end, we blooming well did it. We beat the global establishment. Uh, we beat the press. We beat the giant multinationals, Barack Obama. I mean, we did it. We actually got the independence of our nation back from the globalist European Union. And whilst what we've got ain't perfect, and Boris didn't really finish the job, but the fact is we are back in control. And that was really the thing that motivated me as a businessman to get involved in politics. It was this very idea. How can I, I mean, what nation in history, what people in history, what tribe in history ever willingly give up the right to govern themselves and hand it over to a bunch of clapped out European politicians who get appointed to a bureaucracy? I mean, you know, the whole thing was a nonsense. And, and it became, and it's so often the case, the tyranny of the status quo. You know, something becomes the status quo. Lots of people get fat off the back of it financially. The only questions are privately at dinners and look over your shoulder just in case anyone hears what I really think. So, you know, I'm actually, in terms of what I've done in politics, thrilled. But having said that, I think all of us, and, and it's very interesting, particularly the English-speaking countries of the world, face a huge external threat, which clearly is China. I mean, I, you know, and we've all woken up to that. But equally, there are some massive battles to be fought within. I mean, we all have, you've got it in Australia too, we all have a fifth column, frankly, inside our countries who want to destroy everything about our heritage and our identity. So, so there are still lots and lots of political battles for us all to fight. But, and, and, and I'm going to go on doing that in whatever way I can. Yeah, well, look, uh, I'm I'm glad that you are going to continue. We will talk a little bit more about Brexit uh, coming up because I want your thoughts, Nigel, on how it is tracking. But firstly, can we go to some recent news? Donald Trump uh, obviously was raided in uh, his house, raided in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. Um, this has been seen by many as an attack on him coming back. I know you and he are great mates. He said you speak on the podium several times alongside him at his rallies. Can you uh, give us uh, a bit of a take on um, on what you think about that FBI raid and also uh, what you think about Trump's prospects to retake the White House in uh, at the next presidential election in 2024? Yes, I was at CPAC, Dallas, 
on the Saturday before the raid took place on the Monday. Uh, he was in great form. Uh, he's looking incredibly well. He's the only American president who looks younger after four years in office than he looked at the start. Um, he's, he's firing back with an agenda, which is very strong, very, very strong when it comes to the growth of homelessness in American cities, when it comes to the spiralling drug crime and death, you know, 100,000 opioid deaths in America last year. I mean, the number's so big, it's hard to believe. He's obviously very strong on the border. He is laying out a policy platform on which candidates will run, stand and fight in November this year, you know, at governor level, Congress, Senate level. He is in total command of the Republican Party to an extent that's astonishing. I mean, you know, if he endorses you in your primary race, you've got a 96% chance of winning. Or if Even he gets against you, you did with Liz Cheney, you've got a 100% chance of losing just about. Well, well, it wasn't that particularly sweet, I have to say. So Trump has now got rid of the Bush dynasty, the Clinton dynasty, and now he's got rid of the Cheney dynasty. Correct. Correct. I mean, that is the ultimate in political disruption. So he was looking great. I, I, I'd seen him. I'd seen him at dinner a few weeks earlier. Um, the raid, what the raid tells you, is the dramatic politicization, not just of mainstream media, CNN, New York Times, who gave up any objectivity in November 2016. They decided they would become the opposition. You got it through the judiciary in the most extraordinary way. I mean, a series of trials that are going on now in Washington, D.C., of people who invaded the Capitol building on January the 6th, uh, with juries being drawn from an electorate that voted 95% Democrat. Yeah. Uh, you've got the politicization clearly of, and I, I've tried not, I've tried to avoid using the phrase deep state. It, it all sounds too conspiratorial, but I'm sorry, George, I now have to. I now have to. I, I can't get away from it. It was shocking. It was clearly a fishing expedition. You know, we're told it's to do with January the 6th. We're told it's to do with nuclear secrets. We're told it's to do with classified documents. It's a fishing expedition. That's exactly what it is. And when I heard they'd even taken his passport so he can't fly to Scotland to play at his magnificent golf courses, um, I thought it was awful. I, I have to say, I fear it's going to get worse. Yeah. I think, I think the, as it's been identified, Trump derangement syndrome uh, it has got them terrified. And if you have a look at a three minute, 45 second video that Trump has just put out in the course of the last week, in entitled We Are a Nation, uh, you'll see why they're scared. You, you will see exactly why they're scared. You know, this guy, this guy is limbering up to have another run on a platform uh, that is clearer and stronger than anything he ran on in the previous two presidential elections. So I do fear at some point they may go too far and actually indict him. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me one little bit. But, you know, it's quite interesting with that raid. You would have thought in the days following it that the aforementioned CNN and New York Times, it would have been front, 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 front and centre. It's not. And you know why? Because fair-minded Americans are looking at this, sucking their teeth, 
saying, what the hell is going on? Absolutely. We didn't do this to Hillary Clinton when she obliterated 33,000 emails. Mm -hmm. We haven't done this to Hunter Biden when, I mean, well, dodgy, I think would be an understatement of some of the business deals he's been involved in. And, and they are in danger, the Democrats, of overplaying their hand, of turning Trump into a victim. So, look, I, all things being equal, uh, my strong view is that the Republicans will do very well in November, take back the House, have a clear majority in the Senate, win a lot of governorships around the country, and that Trump will use that as a launch pad for 2024 against a Democrat party who are rudderless and leaderless. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, Biden is, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's a complete embarrassment. Kamala Harris, his number two, is even more unpopular than Biden. I mean, that takes some doing. Um, and who else have they got? I mean, they've got Hillary Clinton. I mean, maybe she'll have another go. Um, you know, they've got a guy called Budacek who ran a tiny little town in Indiana. Mm. Or they've got Gavin Newsom, who has overseen the most catastrophic collapse of law and order and the education system in Los Angeles. So, you know, I think all things being equal, things look very good for the Republican Party. And I do believe Trump will run. Well, let's move from the US to your country, the United Kingdom, uh, or Great Britain, I should say. Boris is obviously uh, going, 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 almost gone. Who, well, what, firstly, tell us, what was it specifically? Was it just the parties at Downing Street? What was it specifically that brought Boris unstuck? And who no, no, is going to be the next PM? It's never the sin. It's never the sin. Because we all sin. We're all sinners. We always have been. We always will be. It's the cover-up. And I'm going to use this word, lies. He stood before the House of Commons and said all rules were followed at all times. There were no parties in Downing Street. Parties? Gosh, I wish I'd been invited. I mean, there was karaoke going on till three in the morning. I don't there know, was suitcases. I'm excited there, Nigel. That, uh... <laughs> <laughs> there, was suit, there were suitcases full of booze. Suitcases being wheeled up Downing Street full of bottles of wine and beer. I mean, you can't deny it. And yeah. then... Uh, you know, and, 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 and a lot of people said, oh, who cares? But you know what? If he'd said to the country in a TV address, now, look, we were working under more pressure in the early days of that pandemic than any peacetime government in Britain has ever been. We were facing huge challenges. We were working all in that building under the most massive pressure. And yes, I confess, we broke the rules. We did have drinks together. We did socialise. Um, but who of you at home didn't at some point bend the rules? Yeah. Perhaps have a friend around for a drink in the garden. Perhaps go and visit an elderly relative when you were told that you shouldn't. And I think if he'd done that, most of us would have said, well, yeah, actually. You know, you know, it, 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 and, and then that was bad enough. And that damaged his credibility. And then, and then we got the Chris Pincher affair. Now, you know, when it comes to sex scandals, the British are the best at this. There's no question about it. I mean, how can the man at the centre of a sex scandal have a, have a surname like Pincher? I mean, it, 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 you know, whether you did a laugh or a cry. But, you know, did he know that this man had a list as long as your arm of previous allegations of wholly inappropriate, offensive, abusive, 
behavior? The answer is he did, and he denied it. So you add those two things, and then on policy, elected as a conservative, but governed as a liberal, and you've got all the explanations there that you need. And history will look back on a man who basically adopted my agenda in 2019. He wouldn't even be, he wouldn't have even been prime minister without me. He adopted my agenda. It worked. Biggest majority for 40 years since Margaret Thatcher. Uh, huge popularity. The opportunity with Brexit to bring some really fundamental radical change and reform to the country. And the whole thing's been wasted. It is for him, obviously, very, very sad, but it's pretty sad for the country too. Well, we'll get on to leaders who uh, get elected as conservatives and then act like uh, socialists or liberals later. Uh, but um, who will be the next British Prime Minister, Nigel Farage? Liz Truss. Liz yeah. Truss. Is that the odds on favourite or is that Nigel's pick? It's done. It's over. She's won. She's, she's won. won. Take it from me. Take it from me. So she's going to win. <clears throat> she's been in Cabinet for eight years but is not really, wasn't before this campaign a household name. So she hasn't really, you know, in cricketing terms, not really troubled the scorer too much that I can see over the years. She, I mean, I'm not going to blame her for going on the campaign for nuclear disarmament marches because she was young and her parents were hard university lecturer leftists. But as an adult, she was in the Liberal Democrats, um, a real social radical, and in the referendum of 2016, the biggest post-war decision that British political leaders have had to decide upon, she backed Remain. She then voted three times for Theresa May's treacherous sellout of the Brexit process. But it's OK, because she's a born-again Lieber. She's now a right-winger. She's now a free marketeer. Now, you pay your money and take your choice. I, I do actually quite like some of the things that she's been saying, some of the things. She's tried to sort of become a modern day Maggie, you know, even to, even to the clothes that she's wearing. Is it genuine? Is it real? Is it pure opportunism? My suspicion is, and I really hope I'm wrong for the sake of the country, but my suspicion is that when she gets into office and she's surrounded by our civil service, globalist bureaucracy and all the influences that will be there. My suspicion is she will not have the courage to fulfil the promises she's made in the campaign. But I, as I say, I hope I'm wrong, but I very much doubt that I am. Well, talking about Brexit, uh, how is that going? Uh, I know that you've been quite critical uh, over the years and still recently about uh, the nature of Brexit. I mean, you were the one who who got Brexit. You were the one who pushed for so long uh, for an independent Britain, uh, and and the referendum vindicated your stance on that. But how do you feel about how the government has implemented the Brexit measures thus far? On the one hand, it's good. We are back in control of our own legislation. <clears throat> MPs keep complaining to me. Oh my goodness me! We're voting again tonight. I say yes, guys. You're back in charge of legislation. You were simply a rubber stamp for, for, for the best part of half a century before that. So in terms of legislation that affects our economy, affects our industries, we're back in charge. In terms of foreign policy, we're back in charge. I mean, Ukraine shows that. Whatever you think of the stance, Boris has taken a very big lead on that issue. In terms of the AUKUS deal with you guys, we couldn't have done that deal as members of the European Union, and you would have been stuck 
with 1950s submarine technology from the French in terms of the first vaccine rollout. We were months ahead of France, Germany, Italy. Why? We weren't doing it collectively through the European Commission with a woman from Cyprus that no one's voted for in charge. We were in charge. So you can see from those things that we have a great degree of self-determination, independence and autonomy back. However, however, there is unfinished business. And perhaps the most significant part of it is, whilst we left the European Union, we've stayed part of something called the ECHR, the European Convention and the European Court on Human Rights. And because of that, we, we haven't got control of our borders back. You know, we've got this, frankly, invasion taking place across the English Channel every day. And because of that foreign court, there's precious little we can do about it. So you've got that, Northern Ireland, territorial waters. Yeah, there are still two or three, two or three quite major bits of clearing up to do. Um, and, and Boris just couldn't be bothered. So look, it's done. It is the established status quo. We ain't going to rejoin. The, the Brussels structure now faces huge problems of its own. But there is more work to do so that we complete a proper Brexit. So, so tell us specifically about this illegal immigration situation, because I noticed you've taken <coughs> a very active role in monitoring your borders. You've got these uh, boatloads of third world, uh, mainly uh, Muslim refugees that are uh, arriving there in the United Kingdom, uh, coming across, I assume, uh, from France uh, to the UK. Uh, but you're somehow hamstrung by some conventions that have been left in place uh, in terms of not accepting the, the parallels, the parallels with Australia are eerie because you had exactly these same problems 2008, nine, uh, and in Australia had a sort of stop start approach in terms of how it dealt with those boats coming from Indonesia until Tony Abbott finally grasped that nettle, towed the boats back to Indonesia, and boom, the job was done. We basically. We have a European Convention on Human Rights, which is allied very closely to a series of United Nations declarations that has been put together by people who don't really believe in nation states, who don't really believe in borders, who just think we should all be free to roam pretty much wherever we are, whose definition of a refugee is they don't earn quite as much as you. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff we're confronting. And, you know, because of this, we have... So, so you come to Britain illegally... We give you a four-star hotel. We give you a doctor, a dentist, thirty-eight quid a week spend, thirty-eight quid a week spending money, three square meals a day. Oh, and by the way, in your free time, you know, go and sell some drugs. You know, go work in the illegal economy. That's what's going on in a huge, huge way. Ninety percent of those that come are young men. In July, forty percent of them were coming from Albania, which is a NATO member an EU applicant country. There are tens of thousands of Brits on holiday there at the moment. You know, no one from there should qualify as a refugee, yet they claim they've been trafficked, they claim they're part of modern day slavery. Anyone coming from anywhere else in the world can claim the right to a family life. You know, my fifth cousin removed lives in Leeds, I should be allowed to stay. And so when it comes to deporting anybody, uh, we get blocked and stopped from doing it. It's as simple as that. And to deal with this, we simply have to complete our withdrawal from 
the institutions, you know, that, that, that European infrastructure. And we have to leave ECHR. And after all, we only won the referendum. We only won the referendum because we had a much higher turnout than anybody anticipated. And that was because people had simply had enough of what was going on. And we kept citing Australia. We want to be like Australia. We want to be able to defend our borders, control who comes, lives, settles in our country, not allow freeloaders to come in and use the health service on day one and all the rest of it. You know, you were our model. Australia was what was quoted again and again and again in that referendum. And at the minute, we have not got back control of those borders. So it, this is something that unless they sort it, it will cost the Conservatives the next election. And that's aside from energy problems, cost of living problems. If they don't deal with this, they will lose in two years' time. Well, uh, best of luck to your country rather than the Conservative Party in dealing with that mm. issue because it needs to be dealt with. We'll go back to the issue of uh, political leaders and politician, politicians in general who are nominally on the right that uh, come into <laughs> a parliament or into power, uh, pretending that they're conservative, and then we find out a bit later uh, they're not so conservative. In fact, they're pretty pretty liberal or, or socialist, as we would say in this country. Yeah. Um, the problem we have in Australia is similar to the problem in the UK. You've got this two-party duopoly, and everything seems that the <clears throat> seem to want to move more to the left. The left seem to want to move more to the right, and they meet somewhere together on the centre left. How do we break that duopoly, and how do we stop uh, political leaders and politicians in general hoodwinking the public that they're conservatives, and then going in and yes. doing the bidding of the globalists? Yes, it's sort of cross-dressing, isn't it? You know, the left say, we're not scary, we're actually quite conservative. And the conservatives say, oh, look, we're really fluffy and lovely and aren't we wonderful and we're so popular at dinner parties in central London. Um, yeah, big problem. Boris, a very, very good example. ScoMo, perhaps a very, very good example. Uh, i tell you what I'm struck by. i tell you what I'm struck by. Boris has gone in disgrace, but at least the decision as to who the next prime minister is is being taken by... Conservative Party members, and not just those in Westminster inside the Parliament. <clears throat> in America, you have the joy of open primaries. Hey, when Donald Trump walked down the stairs of Trump Tower in 2015 and said he was running, everyone thought it was a joke. And yet he's able, through an open democratic system, to come through and take control of the Conservative Party in America. I think the worst country for this is Australia. Because when you pick new leaders of the Liberal Party, it doesn't go outside, does it? The elected members of the party. And so you keep finishing up. Seems to me, you, know, you, you can tell me I'm wrong, but it seems to me... No, you're 100% you right. Finishing up, you know, you keep finishing up <clears throat> with leaders of the party who are considerably to the left of where the membership and where the voters are. So I think kind of... You know, what we all have to do is we have to campaign for members of these organisations to have more power over that decision-making process. I think that's really, really important. When it comes to breaking two-party duopolies, well, <laughs> it's damn difficult. I mean, look at my political career. I won, I led UKIP, and we won the 2014 European elections. The first time since 1906 a party that wasn't Labour or Conservative had won a national election. I did it again in 2019 with the Brexit party. In fact, 
we got 50% more votes than the party that came second. So I've won two national elections, and yet, under the first past the post electoral system yeah. in 2015, I lead UKIP to 4 million votes, 4 million votes, and one seat. So it's very, very hard. A lot depends on electoral systems. A lot depends how these things are organized. Uh, But in the short term, in the short term, uh, given the systems we've got, without radical reform, that system looks to be still pretty solid, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's um, maybe this is the message that you want to bring down under. I know you're coming to Australia very, very soon. Uh, Information for those who are wanting to see Nigel Farage, Mr. Brexit himself, live in Australia, can go to www.nigellive.com.au. You're going to be appearing in Melbourne on the 26th of September, in Sydney on the 27th, and uh, in my beautiful state of Queensland on the 29th. Of September, you'll be uh, very warmly welcomed by a lot of people who are really yearning for common sense conservatism down under. Virtually none of you have ever done a proper job in your lives. Just who the hell do you think you people are? Who are you? Who voted for you? Big government. I can't stand it. They came to bar me from actually physically entering this hotel. That's not very nice, but it's not going to stop me. We don't know you. We don't want you. You have no legitimacy in this job at all. This is the world's greatest leader. All I need is the right beer named after me. That's all we need. You know, when I came here 17 years ago and I said that I wanted to lead a campaign to get Britain to leave the European Union, you all laughed at me. You're not laughing now, are you? What is the message that you are bringing to Australia? (laughs) The message is very simple. It is when conservative parties actually get conservative leaders and behave in a conservative way, a really remarkable thing happens. Do Do you know what it is? They win elections. They win elections because much as we can read the press, see the TV and radio produced in our capital cities, and our administrative centres. The fact is, get outside those beltways. Get out to where real people live. And get off. And there is still, there is still a majority for common sense. There is still a majority that think our Judeo-Christian values and base of our history and our civilization is correct. There is a majority that doesn't hate our country, our forebears, their values at that time. Actually, they're rather proud of what their grandparents and parents did going back in time. There's a majority that think that the family is actually quite a good unit. There's a majority that think that somebody who's six foot three has been through male puberty and suddenly decides he's a she should contest in international swimming events. There is a majority. And by the way, these people are decent, tolerant people. They've had enough of being abused, told they're knuckle draggers, told they're racist. They're not. They're normal, decent, law-abiding, tax-paying folk. <clears throat> but to get them to vote, you know, they've actually got to have some policies they can get their teeth into. And the right. best example of a lot, the best example of a lot, is a completely washed-out British Conservative Party. You know, they've basically become social democrats. Yeah. I then gave them a repeated kicking. They were absolutely terrified of me. 
Yeah, they knew I was going to destroy this thing that had been there 200 years. And guess what? They go to the electorate in 2019, pretty much on my platform, and win a whopping majority. So my message is, you have got to get your own party into the right place. And to do that, as activists, you're going to have to stand up and fight really, really hard to get rule changes within your organisation so that you can get the right kind of people leading. Um, and I, I think this applies right across the English-speaking world. This, I mean, you know, we call it woke culture, but actually, it, it's a modern-day form of Marxism. It's designed to make us hate ourselves, to hate our identities. If we don't fight back against it pretty hard, uh, then, ev frankly, everything that has been built, you know, over many, many years, is going to be destroyed. This is winnable, but we've got to stand up and fight. So, just on that. Uh... The, there is a battle going on right across the Western world uh, between globalists and those who want to put their country first and still yearn for uh, patriotism and conservative and traditional values rather than this radical agenda that we're seeing. Um, you know, people like Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum talk about the Great Reset and so on. Where do you think we are in that battle, which is more global, Nigel? Well, we've won. I mean, you know, we have, we, 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 we've won some victories along the way. Uh, you know, the election of Trump, Brexit. I mean, these these were considerable victories. But the other side never give up. That's right. The other side never, ever, ever give up. Uh, they have got the money. They've got the power. They've got the influence. They've got the giant multinational corporations. <clears throat> they never give up. In the so the lesson for us is if we believe in our nations, if we believe in our history, our heritage, our culture, our traditions, um, our belief systems, and frankly, our liberty, mm -hmm. you know, away from big government and uh, Australian-style lockdowns or whatever it may be, um, then, you know, yeah, putting 35-year-old tennis players in prison effectively, um, even though he's one of the fittest men in the world, um, you know, because uh, he was a health risk. Hey, um, uh, if we believe in these things, then I'm afraid, and this, this is the tough bit, I'm afraid the battle for that liberty and freedom is a constant one. Yeah. We can never let our guard down for a single moment. We have to fight for it and fight for it and fight for it all the time. But I suppose compared to our forebears, who had to put on military uniforms to defend the concept of liberty and the free world, mm -hmm. the sacrifice we have to make frankly, is pretty small compared to that. But That's we right. must never let our guard down. Those people are always there. They will be there for decades to come. And right back to the dawn of time, there have been those with power, money and influence that have sought, frankly, to control the world. We're up against that same phenomenon. It just comes in a different form. Now, across this interview, we've seen you on fire, as people will see you on stage on those dates, which you can find at www.nigellive.com.au. But Nigel Farage, there must be a second coming. I mean, I know that you're on uh, GB TV uh, <coughs> over in the UK, uh, but but you have fire in the belly. And I've got to wonder aloud, is Nigel Farage going to return in some form to politics? Well, I did politics for a very long time. I was nearly 21 years 
in the European Parliament. I tell you what, they were very pleased to see the back of me. Oh, my goodness gracious me. I used to get up and speak. And like 500 people would start booing. So I so enjoyed waving my Union Jack at them and saying goodbye. Um, you know, I led political parties you know, for well over a decade. Um, it's been a big, big part of my life. I, as I said at the start of this interview, I still want to be an influencer for change. I want to be someone that inspires ordinary people to get up and do stuff. Because when lots of ordinary folk do stuff, things actually do change. I am using, I am using um, all the means I have at the moment. You're quite right. I'm a presenter on GB News, which is good because we're challenging the BBC and Sky and all the leftists. Um, and we're doing okay. We're a year on. We're building a good base. I've got 3.3 million uh, people across social media following different platforms. And I, you know, I mean, I, I, I use that as well. Um, I go around giving talks, whether it's in America, which I do quite a lot of. So, I mean, I'm kind of, my mission is I want to save the West. I, I think the entirety of the West is under threat. Now, your question is how best I do that. Do I best do that being a media performer? And I suppose a sort of, how can I put it, controversial celebrity or whatever you want to call me. Or do I do it uh, by getting back involved in party politics? Um, I don't know is the answer to that. I don't know. Let's see what happens. Um, it is possible. It is possible. Because of immigration, because of not delivering on Brexit fully and properly, because of an energy policy that means the lights may go out mm -hmm. in February next year, whilst China builds 80 new coal-fired power stations. I mean, I, and I could go on and on and on. You know, the health service in Britain, you know, we've basically doubled the spending on it in a decade and the return is worse. There could be a catastrophic collapse of confidence in the British Conservative Party. If that happens, I'll take the opportunity and do something. I, it's a funny thing, you know. In life, generally in life, you get out what you put in. If you've got ability, discipline, you're prepared to work hard, then in business or sport or journalism, you can probably have a successful career. In politics, you have to have ability, you have to have vision, but you have to have a huge amount of luck because so much of it's about timing. You would barely have heard of Winston Churchill, well, maybe the Dardanelles, but you'd barely have heard of him had Hitler not invaded Poland. Mm -hmm. Suddenly the circumstances were there for a rather unfit man of pensionable age to go into number 10 Downing Street. So I will watch. I absolutely won't close the door on doing active politics again. Uh, but I can promise you that whatever guys I do this in, you know, I'm going to take on the hard left establishment and I'm going to do, as I say, what I've always done, which is to get out, connect, communicate as much as I can with people who perhaps privately feel like it's all over, privately feel like they must simply just give up. And that's the last thing we need people to do. So whatever form it's in, George, I'm going to be there battling away. Well, that's a great spot to end it on, because I think there's a lesson in that for all of the viewers, that uh, if you believe in freedom, if you believe in the traditions of Western civilization then uh, you don't need to be in Parliament to actually affect change. Everyone should be involved in their politics because uh, politics is all of us. Uh, the word comes from, obviously, the Greek polity, which means the city. And so we're all members of that. 
and uh, we need to do our bit to ensure that freedom and the tenets of Western civilization remain in place. I know that you have done your bit and will continue to do your bit. And we welcome you to Australia when you're here. Those who want to come and see Nigel in either Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane, go to www.nigellive.com.au. We'll see you when you're down under. Thanks very much, Nigel. Thank you.